0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb,
0: and I'm Julie Douglas.
1: We are back from a short little break there, short little summer break, and uh, we're here to talk about uh, really an important topic, especially at this uh, at this time. And that is the topic of Ebola.
0: That's right. Today, uh, just for full transparency, is August 6th. So where we are in this process will probably change by the time it hits your earlobes. But we did want to discuss it because it has picked up, obviously, so much traction in the last couple of weeks here.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the word Ebola on its own, uh, especially right now, is enough to just summon all these feelings of fear, these feelings of personal body horror, uh, and even xenophobia. Uh, I mean, you see that popping up, especially all over social media, where it's suddenly these attitudes of, well, keep it over there, keep people away from me, I'm going to lock myself up in my home, and no strangers allowed kind of a mentality, um, but... You don't have to give in to the, the full-on fear, the full-on paranoia. Uh, certainly, Ebola is a very dangerous uh, virus, and we're going to, to discuss why it's dangerous and, and, and why it is uh, pivotal that we, uh, that we focus on it. Uh, but uh, in this episode, we want, to, we want to lay out the science of Ebola, uh, the science of, of Ebola virus disease, and, uh, and discuss what it is, how we're fighting it, and, uh, and, and hopefully you'll leave this podcast with a lot more information about what's going on in the world right now
0: with it. Yeah, because it can be overwhelming to hear the statistics and mm-hmm. to hear how it spreads. And uh, I have to say, I think that some news media outlets don't necessarily give it the context that it needs. So you have all these sort of free floating facts out there that can really inspire um, a lot of fear in people. and oh, here's yeah. here's a good example. This is, you know, the worst outbreak of Ebola this uh, virus in history um happening right now in West Africa. It's claimed more than seven hundred lives. And this is according to the latest count from the World Health Organization. And we have deaths occurring in Sierra Leone, Liberia, uh, Guinea, and Nigeria. So I'm sure you guys have all heard about this and that it is spreading, in fact. Um, Margaret Chan, who is the chief of the World Health Organization, said that this outbreak is moving faster than efforts to control it. All of that sounds a, a bit chilling. Right. But we'll discuss more about why this is and give it a better context so that we don't react to it in a way that's fear-based and hopefully we can come to this conversation with with uh more thoughts on how it's actually working and why it's spreading quickly.
1: Yeah and I mean on, on top of that of course the other side of the, the equation here is that uh is that we have uh two American um, aid workers from Liberia that are uh that are currently in Atlanta, right here where we record the show mm-hmm. uh to receive treatment uh, from Emory and the C D C special treatment facilities and people have responded to that with varying levels of fear and paranoia like I've even seen it on the um, the stuff to blow your mind Facebook uh, message board where we have we have a lot of followers now so that's you mm-hmm. know, different demographics are are represented there but I've seen comments like you know of course keep them away don't bring it here or uh, or what if the plane crashes or and and a lot of this is it's you know there there are several different uh, forces at work here I mean part of it is you know people are tuning into Even in just in in their peripheries, into a uh, into a twenty-four hour cable news cycle. That has to really ride stories like this until the the, the horse collapses, uh, and get as much as uh, much juice out of it as much mm-hmm. fear as possible. You're you're also de- dealing with people who have uh, uh, w- with the people who have depended on on movies for a lot of their understanding of uh, of what uh, what uh, pandemics and epidemics uh, consist of. I mean, even right yeah. now, one of the more immediate examples that comes to mind is there's this uh, show on FX called The Strain. Which deals oh, with yeah. a, with a vampire uh, pathogen, mm-hmm. and, in granted, nobody's looking at that. I would, I would imagine, and and, uh, and seeing anything other than fiction there. But there's enough uh, reality in the coloring of that show that you, that it ends up informing your perception of what it means to bring um, a pathogen into the country.
0: But, You know, particularly when you consider too that bats are peripherally involved with oh, this yeah. virus, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, this is from Time Magazine writer Scott Z. Burns. He says, The people who are infected with Ebola develop a screenwriter's list of symptoms. Bleeding from the mouth, nail beds, and eyes as their capillaries disintegrate inside them. Their brains, awash in the blood of hemorrhagic fever, become deranged. And there is no vaccine there is no cure approved for use. So again, to your point this has a filmic quality to it and mm-hmm. you can't help but sort of run with some of that now
1: and you would be so silly I must say to can be completely you know unfazed by that description. I mean that is. A fearful uh, reality that we're talking about there
0: it is also a sensationalized Mm -hmm. version of this too and we'll get into that when we talk about symptoms but let's just tether this to to some other information Um, i'm sure everybody knows this but i think it it's helpful to just repeat it Um, we're talking about human to human transmission occurring as a result of close contact with Blood secretions or tissues from patients uh, where the virus can travel to a new victim through mucosal surfaces or breaks in the skin. So, mm-hmm. this is not uh, something that you can catch in the air. Right. Uh, again, that just, I feel like that must be uh, grounded in our imaginations here because otherwise we can kind of run wild with this. And I think, hence, your point about the message board and, oh, what if the train of the, the plane goes down and what if it spreads from person to person?
1: Yeah, yeah, we we do not see that in the, uh, in the in the in the variations of Ebola that we're talking about here. Um, it's not the kind of thing that a, that a healthy looking stranger on a train is going to cough in your general vicinity and then you're going to catch it.
0: No, but it would in the film.
1: It would in the film, of course, because that's uh, that's the, the, the kind of a fearful pathogen that you want to base a movie around.
0: All right, let's get down to brass tacks and talk about this virus.
1: Yes, so. Yeah, it is important to just start at the the very basics. We are talking about a virus, and a virus is a small infectious agent that replicates only inside the living cells of other organisms. Biological viral infections are spread by the virus, which is essentially a small shell containing genetic material, and it injects its content into a far larger organism cell. And so then that cell is infected, and eventually transformed into a biological factory producing replicants of the virus so you know it's it's the basic genetic mission of any uh, organism at a very simple level it just gets in there it makes more copies of itself and pumps those out uh, but of course it's uh it's an invader and there are uh with any virus there are going to be there's there's a, the the potential for uh for varying ill effects and uh, and that's the problem right uh, and so the ebola virus that we're talking about here is a is a filovirus belonging to the virus family uh, filoviridae So far, we've only identified two members of this family, the Marburg virus and the Ebola virus. And of Ebola viruses, we've identified five species. Uh, There's the Thai forest, formerly known as the Ivory Coast uh, Ebola. There's uh, Sudanese uh, Ebola. There's Zaire Ebola. There's Reston uh, Ebola and Bundabugyo Ebola.
0: Yeah, and the one that is uh, taking hold right now uh, in uh, Western Africa is the Zaire strain. Yeah. Um, the rest of the strain is an interesting one. If you guys want to find out more about that, check out the How Stuff Works article, How Ebola Works, because that kind of goes into uh, that strain, which is not deadly to humans. It is among other animals, but not to us.
1: Yeah, so and that I, one originated in the Philippines, apparently.
0: That did, but it has made its way into the U.S., and I don't want to spend a lot of time on that one because it really truly is not right. deadly to humans. Uh, but the article has a great treatment of it and great information about it. So
1: if you look at this, uh, at, at the, uh, the filovirus virons, a viron being the individual, uh, virus, um, it may appear in various shapes, including long or branched uh, filaments, as well as uh, shorter filaments that may look like a six or a U or a circle. By now, I feel like every article you found on, find online about Ebola is kind of using the same image of the viron. So yeah. it, just think a, a colorful shoelace, and you kind of have the idea of what you're looking at.
0: Yeah, it's that blue shoelace among the red tissue. Mm-hmm.
1: And it, this is a, a small critter. We're talking uh, uh, filaments that measure up to fourteen thousand nanometers in length. They have a uniform diameter about eighty nanometers, and they're uh, enveloped by a, a fatty membrane. Uh, and each viron contains one molecule of single-strand negative-sense RNA. So it's it's a very simple little creature. This is uh, I mean to even call a virus a creature. You get into a lot of uh, uh, contested space there. Uh, but it's a it's a very simple uh element in the body that causes this, but it begins replicating and that's where the problem. Yeah,
0: occurs. and scientists don't have all the details about how Ebola works in the body, but they do have a handful of facts. Um you just mentioned a couple. The Ebola virus is most closely related to the viruses that cause measles and mumps. And uh one of the proteins in it is suspected to be the superpower of the Ebola. It's mm-hmm. called glycoprotein. And it binds to host cells so that the virus can enter and then replicate And the other version is then released from the infected cell and may play a role in suppressing the immune system. And then the virus is pretty much impartial and will infect a wide range of cells in our bodies. But early on, typically it goes after those associated with the immune system.
1: So just to give a little history on uh, on Ebola here, uh, this is not one of those illnesses that we have ancient records of. If we go back to uh, 1967, that's when lab workers in Germany and Yugoslavia uh, were handling tissues uh, from green monkeys, and they developed uh, hemorrhagic fever, and we ended up identifying uh, the Marburg virus. Mm -hmm. Um, There were 31 cases, seven deaths associated with this particular outbreak, and the virus was named after Marburg, Germany, because that was the site of one of the, the outbreaks. Now, fortunately, we haven't seen that many outbreaks of Marburg, virus over the years. Uh, the worst of these was 2004-2005 uh, outbreak in Angola, and that claimed uh, 250 lives with a 90% death rate. but, but so far that's been the, the worst of Marburg. Now as far as Ebola virus goes, we first identified that in '76 when two outbreaks occurred in uh, northern Zaire and in southern Sudan. and uh, these both occurred in the, uh, in the area of the um, Ebola River thus the name Ebola virus.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to just get into a little bit of detail of one of those cases, the one in in the then country, Zaire. That was in 1976, as you say, and that was on a man named Mabalo. And he had some symptoms of a really high fever, and they thought, okay, malaria, right? And they used the drug quinone on him. It was administered to him with a needle. And because medical supplies were in, in really short supply needles for in high demand, they use that needle huh. over and over again, and that just infected scores of other hospital patients. Now, a month later, Mabalo died, and his family performed the ritual burial of removing all food and waste from his body with their bare hands. So this is, you've probably seen this in the media before, that this is part of the burial ritual. Uh, weeks later, 18 of the family members participating in the ritual died, and since then, Ebola has resurfaced something like 20 times, spreading farther and farther out, perhaps because of bats and and changing conditions due to climate change, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, But I think that that example kind of sets the stage for what we're seeing today.
1: Yeah, key there, especially the handling of dead bodies and uh, close contact with uh, sick individuals during the, 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 the depths of their sickness.
0: Yeah, and of course now we have disposal methods in place for needles, that's known but that was sort of the, the, the first vector there.
1: Yeah, now, so you mentioned the bats, and uh, currently science, scientists believe that bats are likely the reservoir host for Ebola. Now, a reservoir host can harbor a pathogen indefinitely with no ill effects, uh, but we've also seen Ebola spread through gorillas, chimps, and uh, a uh, duker, which is a type of antelope, uh, and in these cases, uh, they're often deadly results. Uh, though some also think that non-human primates are... Just more or less an accidental host, much like uh, human beings. Now, you mentioned we uh, oh, mentioned Scott Z. Burns earlier that piece uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, he wrote for Time magazine, um, opinion piece uh, titled uh, "Contagion." Screenwriter uh, Ebola isn't the pandemic; fear is. He has just a little bit at the beginning where he mentions the bat. I just wanted to read that because I thought it was so concisely uh, put. He says, uh, there is an animal somewhere in Africa, most likely a bat, that has worked out an arrangement with a microscopic agent. The deal is this, the agent won't kill the bat if the bat will transport it to other warm-blooded animals and give it a chance to do its gruesome work. All the bat had to do to enter this arrangement was build up a resistance to the agent over generations and become a good hiding place and then continue about its business of being a bat. I like that because that really gets to the heart of... Again, what is Ebola from uh, from a biological standpoint? How does it fit into the environment? Because it's easy to just think of these diseases as just an absolute sort of evil, awful thing that rises up and destroys. Yeah. And without remembering that it is, it, like everything else, just fulfilling a genetic mission.
0: Yeah, Ebola is a classic zoonotic disease, meaning that it occurs naturally in animals but can be transmitted to humans. And it does look like bats are their best chance as you say they have built up an immunity and according to the world health organization pig farms in africa can play a role in the amplification of infection because of the presence of food bats on these farms and if you think about these pigs being infected and then being slaughtered ah. and if the practices aren't really very clearly done to specifications that uh, would not allow the person to get infected, get it under their nails or, you know, in their saliva on accident, then there you go. You've got transmission of the disease. Moreover, the areas in which fruit bats are dwelling seem to get farther and farther out in Africa. And this is thought because of the changing conditions due to global warming. So, again, you see this spread happening. This is these are These are all these sort of component parts of why the virus is spreading quickly.
1: So there we see the the uh, the jump from animals to humans the you could because be, and it may happen because of close contact with these uh, with these pigs mm-hmm. that have been in contact. With the bats, it may occur from eating bushmeat, yeah. you're eating, uh, uh, ape, uh, you're eating, uh, uh, you know, chimp, you're eating the uh, bat even, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, 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 catching it that way. And then once it's in humans, then there's, of course, more potential to spread through burial practices, through caring for sick individuals mm-hmm. coming into contact with their, uh, with their diarrhea, with their vomit, with their blood, um, Furthermore, uh, uh, men who have recovered from the disease can still transmit the virus through their semen Ups, for up to seven yeah, weeks following yeah. the illness. So, I mean, that's one of the things about Ebola and one of the the facts that you hear repeated again and again is that Ebola remains active for uh, for an extended period of time here.
0: Yeah. Now, compounding that, of course, is just, you know, a distrust of government officials, a distrust mm-hmm. of um medical facilities and medical workers. And um, imagine, too, someone trying to quarantine your family member and how upsetting that would be to you or how upsetting it would be to you if there was a certain burial tradition that your family um, and your community had always engaged in and then were told to stop. Because, as we know, these are the sort of traditions are are deeply ingrained in us and part of mm-hmm. the healing process. And to be told that you can't do that probably feels, you know, is probably fueling some of that distrust toward people in official positions to try to put a stop to the spread. Now, the other thing to consider is that uh, these parts of the world, these some of these countries, have been hard hit over the decades with war, with many other different types of strife. So it's kind of like, you know, one thing after another, and you have a community of people who, who their only sort of way of dealing with life day to day is each other, mm-hmm. and the sort of bond that they have. So, trying to, you know, these outside organizations coming in and trying to give them these directions probably feels very sort of alien to them and and um, and sort of disruptive of the ways that they have survived in the past.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into the symptoms that occur as this virus spreads through a human host. All right, we're back, and uh, as we continue to talk about Ebola here, now the point where we need to get into uh, how the infection spreads through the body and the various symptoms that that occur. Now, this is this is likely uh, some of the the material that you you've definitely. Uh, uh, encountered already uh, just through media consumption of uh, of the ongoing uh, uh, crisis. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you'll remember, we talked about the virus in the cell and and uh, how the, the virus needs to invade the cell and turn the cell into a virus-producing factory. And uh, what happens then is the virons burst out of the cells and begin producing the protein Ebola virus glycoprotein and attaches to the cells on the inside of the blood vessels. So... This is where things start getting um, interesting because uh, uh, this increases the permeability of the blood vessels and blood leaks out of the vessels. And it also affects the body's ability to coagulate and thicken the blood.
0: Yeah, because all of those things are triggering these chemical responses that we began to see as symptoms. Now, when Ebola enters a human being, it kind of hangs out uh, seemingly harmless for about 2 to 21 days, typically more 4 to 10, and then you get to see those symptoms come. Um, first you see fever, chill, headache, muscle and joint aches and tiredness, and then it begins to get uh, much more intense.
1: Yeah, and when the immune system fights back, uh the e- Ebola actually works to elude it. It blocks the signaling to cells called neutrophils, and these are white blood cells that are in charge of uh, sounding the alarm, basically. And uh so and then on top of that, Ebola will actually infect immune cells and hitchhike to organs such as the liver, the kidney, the spleen, and the brain.
0: Yeah, we thought about the ability of viruses to do that with the neutrophils. It's kind of fascinating yeah. that they can game the immune system like that.
1: All right, so uh, as you mentioned, we're looking at an incubation uh, period about four to nine days after exposure, but it may last up to 21. And then uh, that's where the course of the illness really gets going. It mm-hmm. um, usually lasts between six and ten days. Uh, days one through three, uh, you're looking at uh, flu-like symptoms and, uh, and just a general feeling of bodily weakness. Uh, days four through seven, uh, patients may also get vomiting, diarrhea. Nausea, low blood pressure, uh, headaches, and anemia.
0: Yeah, and some of them will develop a rash on their trunk and their shoulders.
1: Right. And then days 7 through 10, this is where things can get uh, far worse. Uh, This is towards the end of the illness where you may encounter um, just uh, feelings of confusion, uh, bleeding both internally uh, and uh, externally. And this can also progress uh, towards coma, shock, and death but not in all cases uh, and that's one thing to keep in mind here at all times um, you will often see that 90% mortality rate thrown out with ebola but that that is just it, it's more correct to say that the um, the mortality rate can be up to 90% with ebola and it's going to reach its, high, its highest levels in areas where it is not treated or not treated effectively you see that uh, that mortality rate um it's st- still high, but you'll see it uh, go down ten, twenty, thirty points, or uh, thirty uh, points or more in cases where the patients are ac- are uh, are actually going to be cared for in a in a more uh, uh, sustainable way.
0: Yeah, and with this Zaire strain that is currently underway, mm-hmm. in the past it has been ninety percent, but I think they've got it down to about sixty four percent right yeah, now. Yeah,
1: that's where I've seen it uh, hanging out the sixty four, sixty five percent.
0: Yeah, and you probably already mentioned this, but I did want to say that the the blood does start to clot all throughout the body. That's That's what causes sort of this breakdown of the organs and the mm-hmm. failure of organs. And when it's clotting throughout the body, that exhausts the supply of proteins that handle clots. So that means that when tissue damage occurs in the other parts of the body, those proteins aren't available to do their clotting work. And that's where it all begins to break down internally. And generally, death is not a result of the hemorrhaging, but from multi-organ failure or shock.
1: Yeah. Now, of course, not everyone dies from Ebola, and when people survive Ebola, they're a Few different factors that, t- that that play a role here. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of course is just the overall immune system health of an individual. Is this a young person with uh, you know that's uh, that's that's in the the prime of their life that have encountered uh, the virus, or is this uh, a, an older individual? Is this someone with an already compromised immune system, etc. Mm-hmm. The other uh, factor here that, uh, that that scientists are still trying to understand exactly how it plays plays into this, but how many virons does one end up uh, taking into their system? How big is the initial viral invasion of your body? Is it a small number? Is it a larger number? Um, Obviously, uh, that is thought to play a a role as well.
0: Yeah, and that might depend on whether the animal or the human, you were infected from where they were in that illness. So if you say how many virons are present in their bloodstream or saliva or whatever it was that was the infecting um, element so the way that it's transmitted can also, uh, it can also influence uh, the mortality rate. For instance, needles have a greater mortality rate than, say, saliva.
1: So you're probably wondering at this point, uh, how does one treat Ebola? How does one treat uh, Ebola under more or less ideal circumstances in the field in Africa? Well, currently, no licensed vaccine for Ebola is available. Uh, several vaccines are being tested, but none are available for clinical use. Uh, so if you're a severely ill patient uh, with Ebola, uh, what's generally going to happen is you're going to be dehydrated. So mm-hmm. you're going to require oral hydration uh, with solutions uh, containing electrolytes or uh, intravenous fluids. So saline uh, infusions and electrolytes to keep you hydrated. And um, beyond that, uh, there, there's not a lot that, uh, that can be done in the field. However, there are some, some additional experimental treatments that are making... The news and uh, in, in which there is a lot of hope.
0: Yeah, and before we get to that I want to say that studying it is kind of, uh, I would say, difficult as well because there exist uh, these things called biological safety levels that mm-hmm. correlate to different types of labs studying different viruses and uh, BLS-1 is the least life-threatening while BSL-4 is the most. And Ebola requires a BSL-4 lab protocol. So Scientists have to work in spacesuits with respirators and get decontaminated before entering and leaving these labs. And only about a dozen of these labs currently exist in the United States. And furthermore, um, because the number of victims has been low relative to other diseases, right? malaria is a good example, and the outbreaks tend to happen in remote parts of the world, a.k.a. outside of the United States, um, because we're so American-centric, Um where it's difficult to administer vaccines, there hasn't been a lot of industrial support for creating one. But given that this outbreak has happened and people are now engaged, people are are definitely more interested in finding a serum that could work. And as you say, there have been some reports in the media. I think some media outlets have called it a secret serum, which is really problematic. It's not secret.
1: Again, I feel like this is this the word serum is so, uh, is so loaded. sexy and loaded from a news sense. You can't, you almost can't help it add secrets.
0: Secret serum from that. a lab. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that there is a treatment, there's a drug that has been in development and has been used only in animals so far. But you could say that about nearly any other disease or virus out there, there is a drug that is being worked on. Um, but as we say, the conditions for it going to market haven't exactly been like, "Hey, let's accelerate this" until now.
1: Right. So the yeah the uh, the particular uh, treatment uh, in question here, uh, the serum is uh, is known as ZMAP, mm-hmm. and uh, this is uh, uh, this has been developed by a San Diego-based company, uh, Map Biopharmaceutical. Bio and it's uh, one of a class of new drugs known as monoclonal antibodies. And these use uniquely manufactured proteins to prevent, in theory, the Ebola virus from infecting new cells. Um, they've also been used in the treatment of some cancers. So it's not just completely an e- Ebola-centric mm-hmm. uh, treatment uh, strategy. And so... Uh, With ZMAP, we're talking about a three-antibody cocktail. Again, not a vaccine, uh, but just a a way of artificially boosting immune response against sugar-tagged proteins on the outside of the Ebola virus. Uh, And interestingly enough, tobacco... Plays a role in it, huh? Uh, yeah, um, but particularly an Australian strain of uh, of the tobacco plant uh, is, is involved in, in this. And there's actually a division of RJ Reynolds Tobacco that's tied up in the in the drug trials for this. But anyway, in this circumstance, this. Secret serum, if you will, uh, is being administered uh, to the uh, the two Americans uh, here in Atlanta uh, with it, or has been administered.
0: Dr. Kent Brantley and missionary Nancy Wrightball. that's right. And only three doses had ever been created, so two of those were used on them. And, uh, of course, we'll see what the results are.
1: Yeah, I think everyone's pretty hopeful about it, and, and also ultimately hopeful about the potential here to create a better uh, treatment regime for use in Africa.
0: Yeah, I mean because again this this virus just it, it ravages the body. Mm-hmm. And here we have this opportunity to perhaps um lessen suffering and and do something about it. Um I did want to share a letter from a listener Jessica because I think it helps to give a little more context to this. Um
1: Yeah, cuz ultimately we're we, we are not in direct contact with
0: this. No, we're you know? seeing this from afar. And, and she has, has uh, been there, and and so she wanted to share some of her thoughts. Uh, she said, in 2008, I traveled to Sierra Leone for a six-week immersion with a large group of early 20-somethings. We visited schools and clinics. She put quotation marks on this. Uh, partly to expand our mindsets, but also to provide what little help we could to a recovering community. Sierra Le- Leone experienced a horrifically brutal civil war from the late 1990s to the early 2000s and is still attempting to heal. The people of the country are truly the friendliest, most open and loving people I've ever met, and my life changed dramatically in just the few weeks I was there. I write because of the Ebola happenings, and I've attached photos of what consists of available medical care in Freetown, the capital city, which is home to nearly 1.1 million people. Many Americans have allowed their fear to get the better of them with the recent transport of an infected American doctor back to the United States for advanced treatment. What many people don't realize is that the standard of care in underdeveloped countries doesn't even come close to what we have available in the United States. The hospital in Freetown, which was still under construction in two thousand eight, consists of a three level multi room mud brick building with running water. However, running water, the luxury that it is, isn't sourced from a public water treatment facility like it is in the U.S. It may come from a tap, but it's not potable due to rampant E. coli and lack of proper sanitization. And then she goes on to say, when it comes to disease fatality You cannot consider the disease itself in isolation. You must consider the accompanying conditions under which it has been fatal. Even common diseases such as the flu kills dozens of infants in the U.S. every year. Consider the social and medical factors in tandem. These are cultures that are based on physical contact and closeness. Even people you've never met before will greet you with a full body embrace. Physical contact for the living and the dead provides the basic foundation of many African societies. And as for the medical factor, many of these, quote, treatment facilities are little more than four walls and what may or may not amount to a solid roof. Thatching and tarps are common because there is simply nothing else available, especially outside of the, quote, unquote, city. And then she goes on in a little bit more detail, and she says top that off with a social fear of modern medicine and you've got the worst conditions possibly for a highly communicable disease moving an infected u.s. citizen back to high-level medical care is not only best for him but it's truly in the best interest of research for finding effective treatment and a cure not only now but for future outbreaks i left a large piece of my heart in sierra leone and i wish so much to relieve their continued suffering anything that we can do we should it's the human thing to do thanks so much jessica
1: Indeed, thank you for writing in and getting, providing that a personal account uh, that uh, that deals with uh, today's topic. So there you go. There's Ebola in a nutshell. Uh, a look at the virus. A look at the symptoms. A look at some of the treatments available to us. And and overall, you know, hopefully this helps to distill some of the fear. Uh, that is, uh, that's out there.
0: Yeah, and I hope that that you know it's it's looked at in a different context. So when you hear ninety percent, then knowing that in the past the Zaire strain has been ninety percent mortality, uh, but it's not; it's sixty four percent now. Or if you hear that it's spreading rapidly, then it's more understood in in the ways that it's being um, spread. It's not spread in the air; it's spread because of these other factors, the extenuating factors. And certainly in in a place like the United States, uh, we don't even begin to have those factors at play. So for people to to fear that it could somehow incubate here and infect us all and become this pandemic is like highly, highly unlikely.
1: So, yeah, this is not the strain. This is not Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, This is real life. And hopefully we've provided you. Uh, a little information to go on here. And if you want to learn more, uh, do check out that article, How Ebola Works, on HowStuffWorks.com. And, of course, uh, the CDC and the World Health Organization uh, both have excellent resources about this as well. Indeed. I mean, really, there's a phenomenal amount of, of information out there on the web right now to douse the mm-hmm. fires of paranoia with. Uh, but the thing is, you have to... You sort of you have to open your eyes, your ears and uh, in your mind and actually engage with that information. Uh, And, and you know, I I do want to underline that the urge to 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 just give into the fear is understandable. I mean, it's when you when you're when you're faced with some sort of, uh, uh, you know, deadly virus. You, you want to run away from it. I mean, that's part of our, our program, but.
0: Yeah, it will, but we should remember that we've been here before yeah. and on more intimate terms with the virus. And I'm talking about H1N1, bird mm-hmm. flu, or SARS. So, um, you know, again, it's just, it's important to review the facts and, and to try to see what sort of cultural lens is on top of this. Is there a little of the, the stranger factor of the fear of, of, uh, foreigners going on? Um, yeah. These are all things happening under the cover of unconscious. Yeah.
1: If you would like uh, more information on our show, go to Uh That is where you will find all of our blog posts, all of our podcast episodes, our videos linked out to our various social media accounts. Uh, be sure to check out our YouTube page, Mind Stuff Show. Uh, we are uh, constantly updating that with new shows, uh, new show ideas, and new content.
0: And no doubt you have some thoughts swirling about in your mind about this topic. We would like to hear about them and, and uh, get your perspective. And you can send those thoughts to us via email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Yeah.